great to be together again this morning. It uh, continues to be what I call the COVID craziness, right? I'm up here and I'm feeling like I'm not fully dressed because I had to leave my mask behind. I mean, that's how crazy this is getting, so I don't feel that I am a complete person without my mask. So that's very crazy. Let's uh, continue our time. I'd like to just pause as we dig into this, pause for a, another moment of prayer together. Lord, we thank you for our time together so far this morning. We thank you for bringing us together at this time to this place. And we truly stand amazed in your presence that you have saved us from our sin by taking that sin on yourself. We stand in awe of your truly, truly amazing grace that has saved us from the penalty of our sin, from the power of sin you continue to save us in our daily lives and you have saved us and will save us one day from the very presence of sin when we are with you and we stand aware that all of this comes not from what we have done but from the deep deep love of Jesus that relentlessly pursues us and that will never ever change so Lord as we turn our attention to the teaching of your word now may you open our eyes to see more of you more of your sacrifice for us, more of your grace towards us, and more of your deep and unending love for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and it's in his name that we come to hear from you now. Amen. I uh, just want to remind you as we get into this, we'll be sharing in the Lord's table later at the end of the teaching. So if you have not picked up uh, a cup, please uh, feel free to, to do that. Today we're going to go back to a passage that actually uh, the Matt spoke on in Acts chapter 1, but we're going to pull the lens back a little bit. We're going to use a, a wide-angle lens to give us a wider view, a larger view, rather than a, a more focused view that Matt gave us. Uh, another way of looking at what my goal is today is illustrated by this. Uh, this is Laurel's pocketbook Bible. Uh, I have no idea where the cover is. That's, that's long gone. Uh, here's Genesis 11 and 12. Uh, I think it ends at Second uh, Peter 3. Uh, here are the, a few remnants of the book of Revelation. Uh, so this is just a reminder to us. We'd like to ask the question, uh, what difference would it make from our understanding of God if the book of Acts was missing from our Bible? What if it wasn't here? Uh, and that's what we'd like to look at today. Uh, Matt already read Acts 1 verses 1 to 11, but we're going to focus even further. I said we're going to wide angle lens, now I'm talking about focus. I'm mixing my metaphors. We're going to look at verses 6 to 8. That's going to be our focus today, but hopefully to give us a broader view of what God is doing. So verses 6 to 8, so when they had come together, they, the disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So where are we so far? Jesus has appeared to his followers, to his disciples. 
over the last 40 days in various venues, coming and going, often mysteriously, uh, coming through closed doors and walls, uh, showing up at times that they were not expecting. Uh, and it's been various times since his resurrection, giving proofs of his resurrection and discussing with them what is to come. They are now meeting on the Mount of Olives uh, near Bethany as Jesus gives what turns out to be his final instructions to them. Now, we have no indication initially that they thought this would be the last time, but this was going to be the last time. In verses 4 and 5, he says, now you're going to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, I believe we start to hear the puzzlement in their voices as they start to get the sense that he's leaving. This may be the last time we're talking to him. And their concern is that there is some unfinished business. He is leaving with some things unfinished. They knew the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. Among other things, the Messiah would come to fulfill God's promises that David's descendants would have a king on David's throne forever and that the people of Israel would live undisturbed in their own land forever. You can read about that at 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. So they recognize Jesus as this Messiah, as the Christ, and he's getting ready to leave. They're still waiting for this kingdom to come. They're still waiting for Jesus to do this, and he's leaving. There's some unfinished business. And Jesus' final words to them are in response to this puzzlement that they're having. So they ask a question that is actually rooted in three main concerns. They have three main concerns in their question. And so if you look at verse 6, it starts off, Lord, will you at this time, will you at this time? They were expecting Jesus to bring in his kingdom now. And there's almost a little bit of, um, uh, how can we say it, will you at this time? They're, they're still waiting. They're waiting. They've been waiting, and it's not here yet. And Lord, is it now that you're going to do this? So they expected it to happen now. So they had a concern about timing. They also had a concern about the character of the kingdom. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They expected that Jesus' coming meant that the oppressive Roman Empire would be overthrown and replaced with a new earthly kingdom. They were looking for an earthly political solution to their circumstances, to their dilemma, and they thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and establish his kingdom. And then, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. They were concerned about the inhabitants of that kingdom, and it was their idea that the kingdom would be a Jewish-centered kingdom. The capital of this new kingdom would be Jerusalem, where the Messiah and the Jews would rule and reign the world. And so they had these three concerns of timing now, character, an earthly kingdom, and the inhabitants, us as the Jews. Well, what does Jesus answer? We see that in verses 7 and 8. Before Jesus leaves, he lays out 
the next steps of his plan. He lays out the next steps of his plan. And they need to adjust their thinking in all three areas. So in the issue of timing, what does he say? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know the timing. As a matter of fact, earlier in the Gospels, Jesus says, I don't even know the timing. Not, that boggles my mind. I don't, he said, only the Father knows. It's not for you to know the timing. What about the character? Jesus doesn't state it so explicitly here, but behind his statement is the character of his kingdom. It's bigger than the geopolitical kingdoms of this world. It, his kingdom is eternal. It is heavenly. It will indeed subdue and include the kingdoms of this world, but it is much, much bigger than any earthly kingdom. The timing, not yours to know. The character, it's an eternal heavenly kingdom. And the inhabitants. And this is where we start getting into something very interesting. He says, but, but. Anytime God says, but, that often means that there's a correction that we need in our thinking. And so he's correcting their thinking. He says, but, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea. Well, that makes sense. They're Jews. They're going to be bringing the gospel to the Jews. The Messiah is Jewish. And then he says, you're also going to be my witnesses to Samaria. Well, we don't know what the disciples were thinking at this point, but we can well imagine that there was some growing confusion and concern. Because we know from the gospels, for example, in John 4, 9, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In John 8, 48, the Jews were opposing Jesus, and at that moment, they threw their worst insults at him, the worst thing they could think of him, and they said, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? There was nothing worse they could say about him. They could accuse him of being demon-possessed and being a Samaritan. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witnesses to Samaria. Of course, the Samaritans returned the favor. The people in a Samaritan village in Luke 9, 53 refuse hospitality to Jesus and his disciples because they are headed to Jerusalem. Needless to say, there was much racial and religious prejudice on both sides. And Jesus is saying, you are going to be my witnesses to the hated Samaritans. And then he says, you're also going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. That is, to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish peoples of the world. Now we can imagine the apostles being very confused. Peter expresses that confusion, and we'll find it later in Acts, in, 10, in Acts 10.28. Peter is talking to a Gentile audience, to a non-Jewish audience, and he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. This was total separation that was deeply ingrained in the Jewish culture. It was against the law. It was taboo to associate with, to visit, or even eat with a Gentile. And Jesus is saying that you're going to be my witnesses, not only to the Jews, but also to the Samaritans and also to the Gentiles. 
Well, with this conversation ringing in our ears, let's look at why Jesus' words are so pivotal. Why are his words so pivotal? Verses 6 to 8 in Acts chapter 1 give us insight to what God is doing on at least two levels. The first level, it, it actually helps us understand what's going on in the book of Acts. I believe that these verses actually give us the structure of Luke's telling the story of what happened here. It gives us the structure of the book of Acts. It talks about the spread of the gospel. So Jesus says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. Well, that occupies Acts chapters 2 to 7. Then he says, you're going to be going to Judea, to more of the Jews. Well, that occupies a couple verses in chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. Then you're going to be going to Samaria. Well, that's chapter 8, the rest of chapter 8, verses 5 to 25, as the gospel comes to the Samaritans. And then you're going to the ends of the earth. Well, that occupies chapter 9 to the end of the book of chapter 28. Peter brings the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time as he goes to the Roman centurion Cornelius. And then Paul is sent by God to be the primary apostle to take the gospel to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in Galatians 2, as he and Peter and the other apostles were meeting to sort out this Gentile Jew thing, that they recognized that God had sent Peter primarily, not only, but primarily to the Jews, and was sending Paul primarily, not only, but primarily to the Gentiles. So, this verse, Jesus' last words, give us the structure, actually, of the book of Acts to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What's also interesting is this coincides with the coming of the Spirit. One of the things that we find interesting, exciting, confusing, puzzling, perplexing about the book of Acts is what does it mean now with the Holy Spirit coming? Well, I want you to watch for this as we go through the book of Acts. We're not going to dig into the details now, but I want you to watch for this. The Spirit comes with dramatic, visible evidence, like speaking in tongues, four times, and only four times, and always in the presence of the apostles. The Spirit comes with dramatic signs when the gospel first comes to the Jews in Jerusalem. The Spirit comes with dramatic signs when the Spirit first comes to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And the Spirit then comes with dramatic signs when the gospel first comes to the Gentiles when Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his household. The fourth time is that when Paul lays his hands on some Gentile believers. And I believe that that is evidence of Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles. So what's happening here? Jesus said the gospel would go from the Jews and Judea to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. It is at those times when the Spirit comes with observable, times, observable signs. It is at those times when the Spirit comes with observable signs. Jesus empowered the apostles to be the first agents of this new message. It is only in their presence that the Spirit comes with these observable signs, starting with the apostles themselves. 
God is doing a unique work to establish and build his church from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We should no more expect this to happen again, that is, the Spirit coming with such dramatic signs, than we would expect the crucifixion and resurrection to happen again. So before Jesus leaves, he lays out the next step of his plan to rescue people from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. God is working out this plan to reach peoples from every people, nation, tribe, and language. But not only does do Jesus' words here in Acts chapter 1 help us to understand the structure of the book of Acts, it also helps us understand the big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible. See, what happened is the apostles were looking back to the glory days of Israel's kingdom under David and Solomon about 1,000 B.C. God had indeed promised that David would have a king that would sit on his throne forever, and he did promise that the, the nation of Israel would have their land forever. But they needed to go back at least to God's promises to Abraham a thousand years before that. And I'm just going to turn there in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. This is God's promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what's happening here, Jesus tells us in Acts that the apostles, by the coming of the Spirit, are going to be preaching the gospel to Jews, Samaritans, and the end of the earth. Well, that had already been promised to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus came, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's family. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 3.8, Paul says that when God gave this promise, he was preaching the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, foreseeing that the Gentiles would also come to God by faith. This has always been God's plan. When the disciples asked their question, they were very confused because they thought Jesus should be setting up a Jewish kingdom centered in Jerusalem now, And Jesus has said, no, my kingdom is much bigger than you have any idea. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the promises I made to Abraham, this should not have been a surprise because this has been my plan from the beginning. It was promised to Abraham. And then number two, it was intentionally moved forward in the book of Acts by the coming of the Spirit to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the Gentiles. And as you look through the rest of the New Testament letters, that's the working out of God's plan to bring the gospel to these various peoples. So it's promised to Abraham, intentionally moved forward in the book of Acts, and then it's brought to its full completion in Revelation. Revelation 5, 9, and 10, speaking of Jesus, says, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, Jesus' last words recorded in Acts 1 give us the structure and purpose of the book of Acts. The book of Acts unfolds exactly as Jesus said it would. 
not because he was a lucky guesser, but because he is the sovereign Lord of the universe who is meticulously working out every detail of his plan to bring peoples from every people, tribe, language, nation to himself. And Jesus' last words show us Acts' place itself in the big story of the Bible. It's, its place is in what God is doing throughout history to rescue people. Sally Lloyd-Jones says this in the Children's Storybook Bible. She says, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And I would add, it takes including Acts. If Acts was not in our Bible, we would miss that piece of God's story of what he is doing. Well, I titled this last section, God's Big Story and You, Perfect Together. That was a state motto some time ago, right? Who was that? Was it New Jersey? God's Big Story and You, Perfect Together. Well, I'd like to give two illustrations for us for what I mean by that. On July 20th, 1969, people in the United States, if you were around that time, I won't ask who, and actually people around the world listened as these words came across our TV screens and the radio, the eagle has landed. Somebody was already gone there. The eagle has landed. The astronauts of Apollo 11 land on the moon, and Neil Armstrong is the first human being to walk on the moon. And what do we say? We made it. We made it. We did it. We got there. We made it. Well, just short of 50 years later, another eagle makes the news. February 4th, 2018. All right, everybody knows where that's gone. Some of you know where that's going. The Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl, beating the New England Patriots 41 to 33. And what are Eagle fans everywhere saying? We did it. We made it. We beat the mighty New England Patriots. We made it to the Super Bowl. We won the Super Bowl. We made it. And if you look at that, you say, we? We? You didn't land on the moon. You didn't get, get near that stadium, much less the football. What do you mean, we? But here's an important principle. We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. I believe God has hardwired us to have this sense that we want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So did we land on the moon? Well, in a sense, we did. Because there are times that we are aware that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, even if someone else is representing us. So when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, he was really representing me. He was representing you. He was representing, I mean, people around the world were saying this. This wasn't just Americans. People around the world were saying, we did it. We did it. We landed on the moon. Why? Because one of our representatives did it for us, and we are part of this larger story that is being played out. And the same thing with the Super Bowl. You didn't win the Super Bowl. You weren't there, but yet there was somebody representing us. We were part of this bigger story. 
And that's the point today that I'm trying to bring out, that Acts gives us this glimpse into this bigger story of what God is doing. Again, back to Sally Lloyd-Jones. She says, the Bible is not mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. We are so prone to look at the Bible as a set of rules that we should do or uh, an encyclopedia that we should find information. But the Bible, she says, is not mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. And that includes the book of Acts. The book of Acts, it's entitled the Acts of the Apostles, but if you'll notice the title that we picked for this, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is not about, what, about us and what we should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Before Jesus leaves, he lays out the next steps of his plan to rescue people from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue, including you and me. Think about it. Jesus' words here, it's incredible that Jesus used these first Jewish believers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, because that's most of us here. That's most of us here. We are here because of what Jesus did, in, among other places, but in Acts 1, 6 to 8. God has written us into his big story of calling people to himself from every people and tribe and language and nation. Our lives are so much more than the short time we have in this world. God has included us in the story of eternity. We are part of the big story that God is writing. This is truly awe-inspiring and should bring us hope. So I'd like to wrap this up with an important question. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead to give you new life, and is one day coming back to put an end to sin and to bring in his eternal kingdom? Do you believe those things? If not, you're in a category that the Bible would call an unbeliever. You don't believe those things. If you're in that category, I'd like to ask you to consider this as your invitation to put your faith in Jesus today, believing that he died for your sins, that he rose again to make you part of this big story. This is a cause worth being a part of, bigger than the moon landing, bigger than the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, bigger than anything else you could strive after in this world. This is a cause that spans thousands of years past and will last throughout eternity. Any other cause you are pursuing in this world will ultimately fail to deliver. And if you want to be part of something big, Jesus Christ offers you to be part of the biggest story that there ever could be, which will go on for eternity. Well, if you answered yes to, the, to that question at the beginning, that puts you in the category of a believer. To you, I would say, and to all of us, be amazed that God continues to use weak, flawed, and confused individuals like you and me to accomplish his great purposes. The disciples' question in Acts 6 revealed their limited understanding of who God was and what he was doing, but what, what did that do to God's plan? Nothing. 
he still empowered them to complete his plan and to finish the course that he had appointed for them. And here I am, just like them, weak, flawed, confused, and yet God has included me in that big story. He's included you in that big story. But aren't we so prone to live for smaller things? I know I am. Even this week as I was preparing this lesson, I became more aware of how so prone I am to live for the smaller things. Things like the right job or the right vacation or the right relationships. Or pursuing lesser things like immoral relationships, substance use, overeating, cheating, stealing, somehow thinking that these are going to satisfy. Or, as so often happens to me in addition to those others, I get lost in the details of my daily life. We get lost in the details of daily life. Things happen to us. The, the pressure of life comes in and we, we think that this is all there is and what am I going to do? And we lose sight of the fact that we're part of this bigger story that God is writing. Take courage that you are part of God's big story that cannot fail. It cannot fail. There's nothing we can do that's going to make this story fail. This is our hope for the future. God will bring all of this to a complete and fully satisfying conclusion. We can live by faith that God will bring us safely through to the end. And when this life is over, we'll be able to look at what Jesus has done and we're going to say, we made it. We made it. Because our team wins. God's people land in an eternal kingdom. But not because of us, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because God has included us in his big story through Jesus Christ. That big story of rescuing people for himself from every people, tribe, nation, and language that was promised to Abraham, brought forward in the book of Acts, it will be completed, as we see in the book of Revelation. That's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what the Bible is all about. Amen. Let's take a few moments of just silent reflection on this this morning, asking God to apply this to our lives as we just think about it, what struck you, what stood out to you, and what action do you feel you would like to or need to take based on this? Let's just spend a few moments and then I'll pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning through your word. Thank you for reminding us that you are the Lord of history, that you are moving all things to their conclusion in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have included us in the proclamation of the gospel starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here we are, part of the ends of the earth. Help us to know more and more what it is to live in the reality that you have included us in that big story the story of rescuing people to restore us to relationship with you forever. 
And I pray now as we turn our hearts to this time of communion, to the Lord's Supper, may we do so with hearts of humble gratitude. And may we use this time to celebrate what you have done for us, to rescue us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.